Mimosa Church. Good morning, guys. It is great to be together today. For those of you who I haven't met, uh, as we've been in this quarantine, safer at home thing, my, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Doxa. It's great to have you tuned in with us today. Guys, we're going to get right to work. Okay, so grab your Bible, open up to the book of James. Today, we're, we're starting off this, this new teaching series through this book called James. Okay, and, and if, you're, if you're newer to Doxa, let me just let me just tell you this as, as you get to know kind of like our, our church family, our propensity as we, as we gather like this is, is really we, we gather around the Bible and we just kind of teach books of the Bible kind of slow and steady. And, and the reason that we, we do this, guys, is, is we really believe that this is a book that God wrote. Okay, and, and in it, it's not just a filled with like fascinating, like interesting, entertaining stories, but this book is, is filled with like the words of, of the living God, these, these life-changing, eternity-altering words. And, and this is what we do. And so every time that we, we gather, we, we gather around this book. And we, as we gather, we, we gather with the exp- expectation that, that God is going to speak. And not only do we come like expecting to, to hear from God because we know that these are the words from God and they're profitable to us, but we, we come expecting but also prayerful that as we hear from God, that we'll have the strength and the courage to respond to God, to do the things that he tells us, thereby becoming the people in the church that he has created us to be for his glory and for the good of our city. All right, but I'm really excited to, to start this study in James today. James is, is one of my favorite books in the Bible, not just because it's, it's really short, five chapters long, all right, but it's, it's been like profoundly transformational informational for, for my life. It's, it's a book that oftentimes as, as I'm leading other people, as I'm discipling men, this is a book that I oftentimes go to and say, hey, let's read this because the book of James is really just so practical. Now, as we get into this, I wanna, I wanna tell you a quick story kind of by way of introduction to, to really just like frame up where we're going with this series. But here, here it is, in, in July of, of 1974, a man named Larry Flint published the first issue of Hustler magazine, all right, which is just a, a pornographic magazine. And within the first couple years of this first publication, Flint became a millionaire. And he's had just a, a lucrative career in this industry. But in 1977, as his career was just kind of taking off, um, Flint met a woman named Ruth Carter Stapleton, who was the daughter of, of President Jimmy Carter. She was also a, a Christian evangelist. And, and Stapleton and Flint somehow became good friends. And Stapleton, at one point, as she was traveling with Flint on his jet, had the opportunity to share with him the gospel of Jesus. And on December of of 1977, Larry Flint announced to the world that he had converted to Christianity. Okay, in his his press release, he, he said that he became born again and that he had a vision from God while flying in his jet with Stapleton. And he vowed to God to hustle for God for the rest of his life. Right? And, and at this time, you know, Christians are kind of like hearing this story and being like, what is going on? Like, this is like the Apostle Paul's conversion that we just read about in, in Acts, like not too long ago as we were studying that book, right? Like looking at this and being like, this is just completely radical. Like the, the last dude that we would ever expect to become a Christian. Now, here's the interesting thing, okay? After Flint announced that he had been born again and he was a Christian, he continued to produce massive amounts of pornographic material and really nothing changed about his life and the way that he lived. 
I mean, he just kind of kept going on as if nothing happened. There was no profound shift in his life as a result of this profession of faith that he had. And we hear stories like this and, and, and thoughts and questions come to our, our mind, right? I mean, you hear that and maybe you're tempted to think like, okay, well, clearly he, he wasn't even a, a Christian. Or maybe you're like, man, I'm, I'm not the judge. I'm not to judge anybody's heart. Maybe he was a Christian, but, but certainly his life didn't point to that reality. Because we, we think, we have these, these right thoughts of, of how can someone like come out and say that they're a Christian and, and go out and publicly profess it that they're following Jesus and continue to live the way that he was and do the things that he was doing that are clearly so anti-God. That really the, the message of his life didn't line up with what he was professing, what he was claiming. And guys, the reality is, is while this is a radical story, all right, the truth is, I want you to hear this. I really believe that we all find ourselves in this story. And here's what I, I mean by that, okay? That for some of us, we claim the name of Jesus, but the way that we treat people and discriminate doesn't seem to line up with the ways of Jesus. Others of us, we, we claim the name of Jesus, but the ways that we, we speak, the things that we say, the ways that we gossip, the, the ways that we tear down people with the words that kind of just roll off our tongue, it doesn't seem to line up with the, the words and the ways of Jesus. Some of us, we, we claim the name of Jesus, but the way that we make decisions and the, the wisdom that we allow to guide our lives and our action, it doesn't seem to line up with the ways of Jesus. For others of us, the way that we view our money, the way that we use our money and spend our money, they're not saying the right things about Jesus. And guys, I, I say this and I tell you this story because I, I really believe that the book of James is gonna address all of this and even more. Adoxa, James is a book that is really unlikely to leave us unaffected. It's so practical. And as we get into this, we're gonna discover that, that James just has like a really punchy and direct style that is just filled with like practical life issues. And as he addresses them, he isn't gonna get bogged down into like lengthy, technical, theological arguments because James is, he's primarily concerned with praxis and not doctrine. Right, that this book, this book is like just wonderfully down to earth and like super practical for every single one of us. And throughout these five chapters, he's gonna remind us, listen to this. He's gonna remind us that genuine faith is more than a matter of simply knowing the right concepts, but it's living in accordance with those concepts. And James is really just gonna help us to examine the relationship between faith and works and what this means for our life. Because on one hand, if you guys have already started, I, I encourage you guys to start reading the book of James and, and maybe go through those five chapters every week, so every week as we travel through this book. But maybe you've, you've read this and, and you've seen this because on one hand, James is gonna refer to faith 14 different times in this letter. All right, but on the other hand, the book of James is filled with commands to obey. Because right, listen to this, okay. In 108 verses that are in the book of James, he's gonna give us 59 different commands. That obedience is really everything throughout James. He's gonna tell us that genuine faith acts, that genuine faith works. And quite honestly, guys, this is why James has been a book of, of controversy throughout the, the history of the Christian church. This is why like, some Christians have issues because we, we live in a day where as soon as you start to talk about obedience, 
As soon as you start to talk about commands and laws and the works of the Christian life, people hear that and people cry out legalism. Right, that's religion. No, it's not about that. Like it's, it's, it's about relationship, not religion. And we say that's legalistic and, and we run from that. That many people today, you know, we, we say that Christianity is not about doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. But James, as we, we listen to him, he's gonna kind of say, actually, it kind of is. I mean, he says in chapter one that you don't just listen to the word of God, but you do it. And he even says that if you, if you don't do it, like your faith is, is dead, that maybe you don't even have faith. I mean, this is the stuff that James is gonna talk to us about. Now, I know that even as I say that, maybe there's some of you kind of like, you're, 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 you're squirming a little bit. You're like, well, what, are you, what are you saying right now? And I know that even as I say this, guys, we need to be really careful to understand the relationship between faith and works. And we need to understand it rightly and we need to understand it biblically. And so before I even get into verse one, I wanna give some clarity on this, okay? The Bible tells us repeatedly and emphatically that everything Jesus did for the forgiveness of our sin and for our salvation is everything that needs to be done. That all of humanity, myself, you, every single person that you know, the godliest, greatest person that you know, we stand on the same playing field as sinful people. We're not who we've been created to be. There's things broken and wrong in our life. Sin is just anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says, and sin separates. And so as people, apart from redemption and, and forgiveness of our sin, we exist separated from God. This is where all of humanity is apart from faith. But Jesus comes into human history, he dies, he raises, and upon faith he takes our sin and brings us to God. And he does it all by what he does for us. I mean, if you think back to the Gospel of John in chapter 19, verse 30, if you remember what, what Jesus said as he's hanging on the cross for our sin and our salvation in his last victory breath, do you remember what he said? He said, it is finished. Guys, the work of salvation has been completed. We don't add to it by, by any of our works, all right? Because it's not like Jesus plus a bunch of things. It's not Jesus plus me doing better and, and me, Jesus plus like me being a better man. Jesus plus, it's none of that because Jesus really plus anything ruins everything. And the only thing that we're to do is to trust in the one who has done everything for us. And the Bible calls that faith. Guys, this is the gospel. And as we trust Jesus, and have faith in him, you can think of it like this, we're really just kind of plugging into the life of Jesus, okay? So I've, I've heard it talked about like this, it's, it was helpful for me that just as you would take like a dead piece of technology and plug it into a power source so that it would come to life, so we who are spiritually dead because of sin, by faith, in essence, what we are doing is we are plugging into the power of the living Jesus to be made spiritually alive. This is the essence of the gospel. Some of you have heard of a, a man named Robbie Zacharias, one of the greatest Christian apologists like, that's ever lived. He, he died, sadly, last week. The way that he puts it, uh, it just hits the nail on the head. Like he, he said one time that Jesus didn't come and do everything that he did to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. Because this is the gospel, and this happens, this life happens through faith in Jesus' works for us. Okay, so Jesus' work for us begins like a work in us. 
and then it culminates with Jesus' work through us. And so you just need to follow me on this. In order to understand like the relationship between faith and works, it starts with Jesus saving us through faith. Jesus then, he changes us by giving us new life. And this change is so profound that it changes everything about us. It changes the way that we think. It changes the way that we see the world or see ourselves, see God. It changes our desires, our longings. It changes the way that we live. This is our, our works. And for those of you who are Christians, you, you've experienced this, that God has, has changed you through the saving works of Jesus. And even for those of you who, who are not Christians, you've, you've likely seen this in people who have come to Jesus and put their faith in him, that they, you just saw like a profound shift in the way that this person lived their life. And, and so much so to an extent that sometimes you look at these people and like, are they having like some type of like life crisis? Like what is going, like this is my story. Like a lot of you, you know, like glimpses of my story, but when I met Jesus as a senior in college, like my life was just a mess. I was a, a druggie, an addict, a womanizer, just a pathetic excuse for a man, heard the gospel of Jesus, accepted Jesus, and he kind of came in, just power washed my soul, and soon my, my desires, my, my longings, my, my goals for my life changed. And people around me, they, it was so profound and, and so kind of like, immediate that they looked at me and they said, Rob has lost it. And the reality though is like, I didn't lose anything, but I found everything. I found the one that my soul longs for, the one that I've been created for. And Jesus has been doing a work in me, changing me from the inside out, making me the man that he has created me to be. And it's radically changed my entire life and all that I do. So Jesus's works for us, bring about a profound change in us, which results in good works coming out of us. And this is where James is coming from as he writes to us about faith and works throughout this letter. That faith moves Christians to take steps of radical obedience towards Jesus-loving good works, to make the gospel known throughout the world. This is why this is such a perfect thing to, to move past the book of Acts that we've been studying for the last nine months because Acts ends in 28, chapter 28, with this thought of like, well, what happens next? And the, that's the point is like, we're, we're writing this next chapter. And as we write this next chapter, we faithfully continue what Jesus started by living the life of Jesus in our daily lives. Guys, this is discipleship. This is following Jesus. Faith that shows itself in works. All right, so this is where we are. This is where we're going. So James chapter one, verse one, this is what he says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. All right, this is, and this is all we got today. Okay, one verse, this is what we're gonna do every week. So we got 108 verses, 100, no, that's not what we're gonna do, okay? We got 12 weeks of this, but we're gonna stop with one verse today because there's so much that we can learn in this. And we're gonna kind of like walk through this verse word by word, but we're told that a man named James writes this letter. And I'm gonna come back to him in just a minute. But if you look, he's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And, and this language just really echoes the Old Testament 12 tribes of Israel, that this is language referring to God's people. And so James is writing to all God's people who are scattered in different areas. And this letter is, is really just going out to a bunch of different churches in many different locations that James is leading, that James is kind of like this, this network leader leading all these different churches. And most of the people that he's writing to in this letter would have been Jewish. They would have been Jewish people who converted to Christianity. 
And as James writes all that he does, he does so to basically address some basic spiritual problems that have come up in their lives as they've been these Jewish people just scattered and they're following Jesus. All right, because these people that James is addressing, they're, they're claiming to be Christians. All right, they're, they're well acquainted with and they believe the basic doctrines of the church. But hear this, they're, they're not living them out. And James is, is really just going to tell them, we're going to watch him. He's going to tell them to behave according to the Christian doctrine that they believe. I mean, he's really addressing like the issue that so many people have with Christians today, right? That the word of hypocrisy, that we say and profess one thing and we live in a different way that they don't go together. This is what James is talking about. And so this makes James an extremely relevant letter for us to study. That for us here at Doxa, who we claim the name of Jesus, we would call ourselves Christians. This is for you. This is for us. And even if you're here and, and you're not a Christian, I, I love that you're, you're with us. I love that you're tuned in. It's one of my highest honors to teach you the Bible. And I love that you're with us. But you're going to see the result of, of faith and the life that Jesus has saved us to have. And the goal for you as you take this journey with us is not to just change your behavior, but to change your worship. And I, and I really, you really need to get this. You really need to understand this. We all do. That, that Christian living starts with Christ saving. This is true. It starts with Christ. That our primary goal here at Doxa is not to change your behavior, okay? This is what uh, the author and the pastor, Timothy Keller, would describe as behavior or mor moralistic behaviorism, all right? That we're not trying to like make you like really great moral people. We're not trying to make you like outstanding citizens. This is what a lot of churches unfortunately do. They try and fix our behavior, but that's not what we do, all right? This is not what we're about. We're about Jesus. Jesus is the only hope that we have. And my prayer is that you would meet Jesus. My prayer is that you would meet Jesus, that he would save you from yourself, that he would save you from your sin, and that you would become the man or the woman that he has created you to be. And as you would meet Jesus and put your faith in him, yes, he would save you for eternity with him to avoid the, the eternal separation that your sin will bring. I hope that that happens, but also that your faith would move you to action where you would begin to live like Jesus for the glory of God and the good of all around you as you've been created to live. And so this is who he's writing to, okay? These Jewish Christians scattered all around. And he's writing, if you look back, how is he writing? He's writing as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And guys, this is like one of those times, like, you know, we, we read the Bible, and maybe this is just a me thing, I think it's we, but that you read like a statement like this, and that's just one of the things you're like, okay, this isn't like really deep, and there's not much for me to learn here, so we just read passages. This would be really easy for us to skim over, but I want to show you, James is telling us a lot of his view of Jesus here, and really what our view of Jesus should be, how we should look at Jesus. I mean, look back. James says, Jesus is the Lord which means that he's king and he's high above, he's ruling over all in authority over all because he is the creator of all. He also says that Jesus is the savior. This is what the name Jesus means. He's the one who has come to save us from our sin. And he says he's the Christ, which means he's the chosen one, the special one, the, the anointed one of God. And so in these three little titles that James gives Jesus, he's telling us who he is. And this is so important because this is where James starts. He starts with Jesus, whom he's saying he is a servant of. 
Now, guys, here's what's so interesting about James when it comes to Jesus. James had a, a very unique relationship with Jesus. That yes, to him, Jesus was, was Lord, was Savior, was Christ. But I want you to hear this. James was also Jesus's little brother. Okay? Like Jesus was James' older brother, his half-brother from, from Mary and Joseph, that they grew up together. They lived in the same house together. And so when you read things like in Luke chapter 2, where it talks about how Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, like James was there. He was watching Jesus grow up. He was with Jesus. They like did life together as, as brothers. And James starts off this letter with his name. He just says, James, so that we know who's writing it. And there's so much that we need to learn about this man before we study all that he says throughout this book. And, and so what I wanna do for the rest of our time is, is look at the story of James. And really we're gonna see the kind of story of Jesus, his older brother kind of rolled out because it's an interesting story. And, it, and it's not just gonna help us to understand what James writes, but it's gonna under, help us to understand James's older brother, Jesus, who's at the center of all that he writes. All right, and to learn about James, what we have to do is we have to do a little bit of historical digging. All right, we have to look inside the Bible, but we're also going to need to look outside the Bible to, to history that's outside of, of Scripture. But let me start with giving you some history from outside the Bible, okay? Historically, James was known as like a great, godly, pious man. All right, the historian Eusebius, he records the, the testimony of Hege a, guy, a guy named Hegesippus, all right, who was an early historian right around the life of the early church. And here's what he says about James, and I quote, he used to enter alone into the temple and be found kneeling and praying for forgiveness for people so that his knees grew hard like camels because of his constant worship of God. Kneeling and asking for forgiveness for the people so from his excessive righteousness, he was called the just. Because the, the way that James lived his life among people and before God, got him two nicknames. One is really cool, one not so much, okay? The first nickname that he has historically is James the Just. All right, that James the Just, this, this really great name. The second one, he was known as Camel Knees. Okay, so not a really cool nickname, but apparently this guy prayed so much that his knees were like really jacked up looking. Okay, so they, they called him camel knees. I don't know which one James would have liked more, but this is what he was known for. Now, in addition to like these nicknames, the apostle Paul also gave him another in Galatians 2.9 where Paul refers to him as, as a pillar, a pillar of faith. And so guys, when we talk about James and his writing, we're, we're talking about a guy who was just a pillar. He was a righteous man. He was always on his knees praying, even until the day that those who opposed Christianity came to murder him. He was a preacher. He was a teacher, a significant leader in the life of the early church. And as the Jewish historian Josephus writes in AD 62, like what happened to many of the other apostles and early church leaders, James was martyred. He was murdered for his faith and for the message of Jesus. This is, this is James. This is Jesus' little brother, a tremendous, strong, godly man of faith. Now again, here's what's interesting about James. Because this is the end of his life, right? This is kind of like his legacy. An incredibly godly, pious man. 
But I want you to hear, that's where he ended. It's really far from where he started. Because if we look to the Bible and the historical narrative of, of the Gospels, we actually first meet James rejecting Jesus. Right, the first thing we learn about James is that he disbelieved Jesus. In John's Gospel, it says that he was gaining like a, a large following. Jesus was teaching to them about God. He was declaring himself to be God. And all these people are listening, but look at this. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it's going to come up here on the screen. It says this, not even his brothers were believing him. Okay? Jesus is saying all this stuff, and there's James, his brother, this, this godly man that we just talked about. He's not believing him. And then in Mark 3.21, it says, even as Jesus went about this, listen to this, his family heard about all that he was doing, all that he was teaching. And when his family heard about it, it says they went out and they seized him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Okay? So throughout the Gospels, we see James in just like a, a state of just unbelief and skepticism over his older brother Jesus. And, and James is hearing these reports of Jesus telling everybody that he's the Messiah, the, the God who has come to save people. And James says, like, that's my brother, and he's completely Looney Tunes. Right? I mean, he's just like crazy, and he rejected and he disbelieved his claims. Guys, this is where camel knees started, okay? Camel knees, not so much here, right? This is where James started. And we can be hard on James, right? We can say, how can he disbelieve? Like, he, he knew Jesus, like he was his brother. But how many of you, like, if your brother started making claims like this, like you would hear that and kind of be like, have the same reaction, right? Like if you're scrolling your Instagram feed, you're watching like TikTok videos and all of a sudden there pops up a post from your brother, right? And he's got a claim and a post that says that he's God and he makes like a song and a dance with TikTok and like he's saying, right? I mean, we would have an issue with that. You'd probably see that and be like, oh, okay, does mom know about this? Like what happened, right? And as Jesus is saying all of this, as he's saying he's God and he came down from heaven, James and his family, they're just thinking, okay, we got to go get him. Like, call the doctor. The engine's running. There's no one behind the wheel, right? Get some medicine. Let's pad his room. He's in completely insane. He's, he's crazy. This is what's going on with James early on with Jesus. And this is so important, guys, because some of you would have the same perspective of Jesus as James did that you hear about Christians, you're here at Doxa and you're just kind of seeing it. You've met some like really nice people and maybe you're here, but you, you hear the claims of like this man who claimed to be God and you just think it's crazy. I want to give you some encouragement, guys. This is where James started. And if that's where you're at today, it's okay for you to start there. My hope is that you wouldn't stay there, but you would move just like James moved. I want to show you this, okay? Because after this, Jesus is rejected in his hometown. People are looking at him. They're not believing him. His family is rejecting him. It says that they're, they're taking offense at the things that Jesus is saying. And we know the gospel narrative, right? Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He's arrested. People are yelling and shouting, and everybody's in agreement, this guy needs to die. He's claiming himself to be God. He deserves to be killed. And when they come to arrest Jesus, Jesus, I mean, legitimately asks, like, Hey, why are you trying to kill me? And this is what they say. Take a look. In, in John 10, 33, the Jews answered him, here's why we're going to kill you. It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for what? For blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. 
Guys, this is the answer. This is why they killed Jesus, because he claimed himself to be God. And this is so significant because some of you, you've, you've been told that Jesus really never declared himself to be God. And, and I just need to tell you, like, this isn't true. Like, when you read the Bible, you, you know this isn't true. This is why Jesus was killed, because he claimed to be God. And this is something that every single one of us needs to address. Because here's the thing, this claim that Jesus makes to be God, it's either absolutely true or absolutely false. And if it's false, guys, we need to reject everything about Jesus. His words, his works, his ways. We need to reject it because if it's false, Jesus is not just a good man and a good teacher, but he's the most despicable, damnable, lying, evil man that's deceived so many people that we need to shut down this place and not listen to a word he says. But if it's true, then we need to do as Jesus says in Luke's gospel is we need to listen well to what he says. Because that claim changes everything about our lives. And that claim was, again, James initially rejected this. His brothers rejected it. But then Jesus is crucified. He's killed for that claim. He's laid in the tomb. Three days later, the most significant event in the history of the world happens. Jesus raises back to life. And as he resurrected, he not just declared that death has lost its sting, that he defeated death, but in that moment, because here's what he did. He validated and vindicated everything that he has ever said. He proved himself to be God. And as he rose from death, men like the Apostle Paul historically recorded what happened. Take a look in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, it says this. Paul says, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then look at this, verse 7. Then he appeared to James. He appeared to James. Now I just want you to try and imagine what this would have been like for James. Right? I don't know how it all went down, but, but I think it was probably a little bit different than how Jesus appeared to Paul after the resurrection. Remember that, in, that story in Acts chapter 9? Like Jesus comes to present himself to Paul, this like terrible man that was killing and persecuted Christians, and he shows up in a bright light and kind of like, I don't know, like karate kicks Paul in the head, knocking him off his horse. I think it was a little bit different for James. Here's how I just like picture it in my head. Like I bet you like James is like just sitting there. He hears a knock on the door. He opens up the door and there's his older brother, Jesus. And James is just standing in the door, like completely still, like flabbergasted at what he's looking at. Probably not even being able to speak because he is so taken back. And I picture Jesus just grabbing his little brother and just hugging him and just holding him. I just picture him just like holding him for a minute. And I picture Jesus as like an older brother just kind of grabbing James by the back of the head, leaning in and whispering in his ear, I told you so, right? <laughs> like, just like an older brother would do, like, I told you so. Like, Jesus is probably sitting there like, I told you I was God. Like, don't be surprised. Like, 
I told you I was going to beat death, and, and here I am. And James in that moment was probably just like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, uh, yeah, you're, you're it. Like, I, I believe. And wherever James was at spiritually in terms of faith, in that moment when he saw the resurrected Jesus, the switch got flipped and he believed. And this is a moment to let, that led him to write what he did in verse 1 of this letter. That Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior, that he is the Christ. And for James, this meant that everything that Jesus said was absolutely true. All the things that he said throughout his life, it was true. And I think it's so interesting that James, he didn't put his faith and he didn't believe Jesus based upon anything that he said, but upon what he did. And, and I've said this before, like, I, I don't follow Jesus because of the things that he said. Like there's been a lot of things that people have said throughout the history of the world that have been good. And if I base my life on them, and my life might turn out all right. I don't follow Jesus based on what he said. I follow Jesus based on what he did. That here is a man that said he would be killed and then would come back to life and he did it. And as he did this, he validated and vindicated every claim that he has that he is God. This is one of the strongest pieces of evidences to the validity of the resurrection and who Jesus is, that Jesus' family after the resurrection, begins to worship him as God. They saw him as crazy, this crazy man, and now all of a sudden they have this radical shift and they start to worship him as the God-man. And James and the rest of his brothers, they gave their lives to be servants. This is how he starts. He's like, I'm a servant to my brother Jesus, who's actually not just my brother, but my God. And even after James was killed, for telling people about Jesus and for relaying the message that his brother Jesus was doing that got him killed. After James was killed, one of his other brothers came in and kind of took the baton from James and started leading as well. I mean, it's crazy. His own family who started off rejecting him is now worshiping him and being willing to die for the, that message of the gospel of Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I mean, this is just something that I just have to ask, like, how do you account for that? Like, how do you account for his family, like, rejecting and then all of a sudden being willing to die for this man? I mean, what motive could they possibly have? There was no glory in it. There was no fame. There was no money that they were making. It wasn't like the only thing that they were looking at was death. But they endured it. And they no longer feared it because they watched their brother conquer it. As James is writing this book that we're about to study as a radically changed man. And here's the thing, because I, I want this for, for you. I want this for our church, for all of us. To be utterly convinced of Jesus and changed by his grace and love. This is the kind of church that I'm convinced that, that God desires us to be. This is who Doxa needs to be. A faith-filled people who work alongside Jesus for the sake of the world. And so let me just close with this. In Mark 3.35, here's what Jesus says. His brothers and his sisters and his mom, his family's there. And they send message like, hey, tell Jesus to come out here. His family's here. This is what Jesus says. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. 
Because the truth is, is that Jesus invites us into his family. All right, that we haven't been born physically into his family, but by faith, we can be born again by the Spirit into the family of God. And Jesus, like James' older brother, when we come to him in faith, it's almost as like, much like I think that Jesus probably did to James growing up, like put his arm around him. And Jesus comes and he puts his arms around us and he says, I love you. I love you. I died for you. I sacrificed for you. I gave you new life. I'm here with you. Now we have work to do. And the book of James is really just telling us of this work because, guys, the family of God is seen by the works of God. This is the church. And the works of God are for the salvation of God to the people of the world whom God loves. And if you're here and with us and you're not a Christian, the first thing that you need to do is to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus and let him save you. You need to cross that line of faith that changed James's life. And this is the difference between examining and experiencing, right? Because anybody could come here and open up the Bible and examine the life of Jesus. You can look at James's life. You could look at, you could look at the family. You can look at the, the narrative and the story and examine the life of Jesus. But it's only through faith that we can actually experience the life of Jesus, that he died and rose and empowers us to live. And experiencing the life of Jesus is what life is actually all about. And the way that this happens is we turn from our sin and we trust in Jesus. And maybe today, this would be the day that you move past examining the Bible, examining the life of Jesus as you've been coming around Doxa for a while. And today would be the day of salvation for you where you would experience that life that Jesus has been promising. I hope that happens. And for those of you here who are Christians, I just want you to know that James is writing to a, a really religious audience. They're, they're a really religious group of people that, that know a lot of stuff, but don't do a lot of stuff. Does that make sense? Like they, they know a ton of, of doctrine. They know a ton of Bible verses. They know all the Christian songs, but their life is, is not screaming out, Jesus. And so maybe you would consider yourself even today like a, a really religious person who, who you know a lot. Like you could beat me in Bible quiz, quiz bowl, right? And like you, you know a ton of stuff. You've read a lot of books. But that knowledge that you have has stayed locked here in your head. It hasn't sank down to your heart. It hasn't went to your hands and your feet and caused you to live like Jesus for the sake of the world. James is, is, is a call for us as Christians to put our faith into action not to be better people, but to be faithful people and to live and to love like Jesus for the sake of the world. Because remember, we talk about this all the time. I say it all the time. We're about two things, Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. This is what James is gonna help us to continue to do, to remain faithful to this call. It starts with Jesus. And so today for every one of us, for our soul's sake, like, come to Jesus. For the sake of the world, come to Jesus. Grab hold of Jesus. Let him grab hold of you. Let him and his gospel stir your affections so that you become more and more like him and begin to have our desires changed to live like him for the sake of our great city of Madison. And so guys, I'm just going to pray. I'm out of time, okay? But this is what we're going to do. I'm just going to pray. 
and ask God to help us with this, to help us lean in to what James is going to say, to help us to have the courage to come face-to-face with our life, to -to face-to-face with our sin and say, that's an aspect of my life that I say the right things, but I'm not living the right way. And that we would ask God to change us, not to be better people so that God would like us more because in Christ, he already does love us. But so we can be faithful to the call of Christ to live like him for the sake of the gospel going out to the entire world. So let's pray and just ask God to do that. Father, thank you for the life of your servant, James. Even as I've studied him in preparation for this series, God, it's been incredible to watch his journey how Jesus, you kind of like flipped the script of his entire life, not making him a a good man, but making him a redeemed man. And your work in him led to work out through him. And God, I just say, I want to be that man. There's so many areas of my life that I know that you need to come in and you need to change my heart so I can be the man that you've created me to be, so I can be like Jesus because I want people to meet Jesus and I know that I don't have the power to do it, but Jesus, if you're in me and you're with me and you're working through me, then I get to share in your joy of watching people say yes to you. And so help us to be a church as we go through this book, as we journey through this book to just stand with open hands and a humble heart with our eyes open, with our ears open, that we could hear you, we could see you. And help us to just have a a posture of just utter humility and dependence to follow you. I pray that if there's somebody listening that hasn't crossed that line of faith like James has, you would work in their life in such a way that your love would just be irresistible and they would come running to you even now. Let us just celebrate a day of salvation.